In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. What's up, mi gente? Feels like forever ago since the last episode. In real time, it's been about two weeks since publishing El Dubs' episode. I've been traveling around mainly in Spain and Morocco with brief stints in Iceland and London. It's not lost on me that uh, I spent almost all of my vacationing traveling through some of the epicenters of colonialism in Spain, UK, and Morocco. This last one I learned about as I delved into Spain's history on the trip. As the NYC-born daughter of Colombian and Dominican immigrants to the U.S., spending time in northern Africa, southern Spain, and the UK felt like one prolonged episode of Deja Vu. In the faces I saw, foods, architecture, names, landscapes, and music. Colonialism was the invisible hand shaping my trip. And as I reflect and wax poetic on movement, identity, and colonialism, not colonialism, Canolialism sounds really delicious, though. <laughs> I can't help but think of a better episode to publish. My conversation with Jumpy McGee, co-founder of Team Indigenous Rising Roller Derby, and Tiggs, co-founder of Jewish Roller Derby. By forming teams around indigenous and ethno-religious affiliations rather than geographic or national borders, TIR and JRD are decolonizing roller derby team organization and rec- recognition beyond those existing parameters, which are passed down at least in part from colonialism. In my estimation, these teams are at the forefront of decolonization at roller derby. They mention other individuals throughout the episode and in the MVP section that are also doing this very vital work. By their very existence in roller derby, the indigenous rising and Jewish roller derby teams claim space for just, inclusive, and expansive alternatives to traditional team formation. At Champs next month, these two teams will be taking the track for a monumental exhibition bout titled We Are Nation. We chatted all about it, as well as the importance of keeping history alive and present and working towards roller derby that lives up to its revolutionary moniker. Enjoy. For folks who are unfamiliar with Team Indigenous Rising and Jewish Roller Derby, do you all want to kick us off with your teams' origin stories? Yeah, totally. Tig, do you want to go first or you want oh. me to go first? Or? You. Great. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I am April Fournier, aka Jumpy McGee, and I am one of the co-founders of Team Indigenous Roller Derby. We are just getting ready to be, gosh, three years old, maybe? So was thinking back to kind of how everything had started just because as we have all these events come up and you start to look forward to oh my gosh we're getting ready to close out another year and move into 
2020, which is wild. Um, you start to, I think, look back and kind of naturally take stock of where things have come and just we're just tremendously excited and just amazed for how we've been uh, embraced and supported in the roller derby community. So Team Indigenous started really as the brainchild of uh, Melissa McSwagger. And one of the reasons and things that she has shared with us that was so motivating for her to start that is just with all of the teams that she skated for, and she skated for some really um, high-level teams in Gotham City, um, BRDL, there just wasn't really representation for any Indigenous skaters around her. Um, there was no one else that you know looked like her or had you know similar family histories or cultures. And there's just you know this kind of sense of belonging when you're around you know your your people. And so that she was missing that in some of her skating experiences. And so had kind of long thought, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to have a team of all Indigenous athletes go out and skate? And so I started roller derby in 2014. Yeah. And I was just getting ready to try out the main roller derby. And I happened to be watching the playoff of these high level teams. And I was watching a Gotham game and saw the skater that looked like she could be my sister. You know, she had this, you know, same body composition. So, you know, she was built native and if you're native, you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but you know she just looked you know she had this you know beautiful brown skin and you know dark hair and dark eyes and you know this this gorgeous face structure and oh my gosh she really looks like she could be my relative i have to know more about her because she totally looked native and so i went on to the gotham roller derby page because of course they're gotham so they have all of that information out there um and it had this great bio of her and i found out she was also dinner so we're of the same tribe and nation um, that she was on the East Coast right now, State Gotham, but had previously been out West. And so I had reached out to her through Facebook and just said, I am just so blown away and excited to see someone that looks like me at such a high level. It just really motivates me to come and do roller derby because there's someone there that looks like me. And I, I live in Maine, which is, you know, like the whitest state in the U.S. So there's not a lot of skaters <laughs> that look like me as I was. And so because the roller derby community is so cool where you can really have some of those personal connections with your idols have you know just that interaction she messaged me back and I was just blown away like oh my gosh this person it's amazing messaged me back to say good luck on your triumph and so over the next few years she had a couple of different times that she was coming to Maine to do different things and we connected and were able to hang out when she came and just kind of talk about our shared experiences and histories and just really create a friendship and you know in doing that talked a lot about wouldn't it be amazing to be able to see a team of all indigenous from many different nations from you know all over the world we could just open it up and it was still just kind of this yeah it would be really cool but when would that happen and so then we started talking a little bit more seriously about it as the next world cup was getting ready to happen in the UK and Mick had gone to the roller derby nations committee with our proposal to have an all indigenous and so there was certainly a little bit of pushback because we're team indigenous. We are not one nation. We are not one country, quote unquote, um, that has borders that are defined by, you know, bloodline or citizenship or um, any of those things that are traditionally used to define how you participate with different countries or World Cup. We challenged that construct that, you know, because of the history of indigenous peoples all over the globe, you can't, we can't define who belongs and who doesn't because for many of these peoples, they have been displaced, they've been removed, they've been almost eradicated in some instances where there's only a handful of tribal members left. So there is no one to verify that there are 
member of that nation, but that doesn't make them any less a member of that nation. And so after a lot of discussion and kind of back and forth, human indigenous was granted entry into the World Cup. And so we're like, this is amazing. Awesome. Wait, now we have to get skaters. <laughs> so then, you know, we put out this call and our first round of human indigenous roller derby was really a global call out. So it wasn't just Turtle Island. It wasn't just any of the other regions. It was really, we want to open this up to everybody because it's the very first time. And then afterwards, our vision then and continues to be our vision now is for each of these indigenous regions to have their own regional team. While we absolutely love our you know South Pacific family members or our uh, members down in Australia and New Zealand, we also recognize it's a tremendous expense to play the sport. It's a tremendous expense to travel for the sport. And so to be able to constantly go where one team is playing, it's just, it's not fair, it's not realistic. But it also gives that region a chance to build their own structure and their own you know, government and their own way to tap into the community that they're local to and start to build those connections and education within those communities. And so um, that first team, we did have members from New Zealand, we had members from Latin America and South America, members from Canada, members from the U.S. And we had over 50 applications in for people that were just so excited to be a part of Team Indigenous Roller Derby. So we watched hours and hours and hours of footage and eventually came up with a roster of 20 games that were able to go. And so we did fundraising and it was great and participated at World Cup. But there was just this really incredible momentum that was kicked off by saying we're not going to be defined by your traditional borders. We, even though we don't have specific criteria for membership that you would traditionally have, we are a people, we are a culture, we are a nation, and we are just as much a team as anybody else that would be out there. So here we are. We're still here. We're getting ready for pretty exciting stuff and looking forward to the future. First of all, let me just backtrack and say that I can't believe it's only been three years. It feels like Team Indigenous has been around so much longer. And I think that speaks to your activity and your presence in the roller derby community and how you've been received and how you've become such a, almost like a like a bedrock member of this community. And it's only, it's only been three years. That's wild wild to me. Tiggs, what about you? Do you want to tell us about Jewish Roller Derby? Yeah, so I'm Tiggs. I'm coming up on my 10th season of Roller Derby. I've skated in lots of different places. Right now I'm with Rose City and Portland is a historically majority white city. There's a crazy history of racism here that goes back a lot of years. And I am from Los Angeles originally. So when I moved here, and like the holidays would come up, like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, all those things. I'd go to the grocery store and I wouldn't see an end cap with even like an effort being made. Traditionally, like when you go to a grocery store, you'll see an end cap that has things that are not relative to the holiday happening at all. So even though it's nice that the grocery store is trying, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, whatever. But there was none of that here. I felt very alone as a Jewish person in Portland. There's a small community, but I'm just not an active part of it. So then I met Jody, Jody Bon Jody, who is the co-founder of Jewish Roller Derby, and they are also Jewish. And we kind of just were like chit-chatting about starting a Jewish team and whatever, we put the thought off on it and continued as normal. I skated for Team Russia Roller Derby in 2018 at the World Cup. As Jewish people, we have a very complicated history. Jewish people are from all over the world, but the majority of people know about Jews from being from 
Eastern Europe, um, which are Ashkenazi Jews. I am 100% Ashkenazi Jewish, and I can trace that back six, uh, at least for six generations on both sides of my family. Um, so my family comes from former Soviet countries of Belarus, modern-day Moldova, used to be called Bessarabia, Ukraine, and uh, Soviet-occupied Poland, as well as Hungary. I just wanted a chance to skate at the World Cup. Um, I identify with being a Russian Jew, since that is how I was brought up. And I really wanted an opportunity to kind of like show off who I am and kind of be proud of that. But there's not a whole lot to be proud of as a person who identifies as being Russian. The culture is really great, but most people know about their terrible homophobic laws. So yeah, that was one of the reasons, another reason why I wanted to skate for a Team Russia. I wanted to show that like somebody who is Jewish and somebody who is queer could skate for this team and, you know, be visible. And I also wanted to help elevate roller derby in Russia. There's currently two teams there. There's a team in St. Petersburg called the White Knight Furies. And there's a team in Moscow called the Moscow Raptors, I believe, but they're then they're doing really cool things. And I think that a lot of that has to do with us being able to like get there and help and like go to the World Cup and like have tons of practices beforehand. Anyway, so Jewish Roller Derby started because after our final game, which was against Team Romania, which was a little bit exciting for me being that my family is from this area that has shared territory with Romania, I went and I watched Team Israel play. I personally don't have any ties to Israel. It's a Jewish state and that's a complicated thing for uh, Jewish person to you know think about and consider but I'm not personally tied to Israel but while I was sitting there I looked at the people who were skating and I looked around at the people who were sitting near me and they looked like me and I had never seen anybody who looked like me playing sports you know there's Jewish people in arts and there's Jewish people in music and there's Jewish people in acting but I've never really seen like a Jewish athlete except for maybe Ali Reisman who was an Olympic gymnast but for for me as a person who's really struggled with their Jewish identity just being surrounded by a bunch of people who looked like me and probably share like traditions and stories and foods and all those great things that come with sharing culture. I felt like I was missing out on that. I'd never went to like Hebrew or Jewish, I'm sorry, Jewish summer camp is a thing that a lot of kids go to when they're younger. I never went to that. I never had a bat mitzvah. There wasn't any interest in that at the time. And so I feel like I missed out a lot on those really Jewish traditions. So I got on my phone immediately and I messaged Jody and I was like, hey, let's pick back up on this conversation about Jewish roller derby. I think it's really important. I'm sitting here watching people who look like me and it feels really good. So we got to doing that and we officially announced Jewish roller derby last November. I can't believe it's already been a year. That's wild. Yeah, we announced it last November. And so basically what we did was put a call out for Jewish skaters. We didn't know what we were going to do with it. We just figured we would play, maybe play a game at RollerCon. Initially, the thought was, okay, we'll find 40 skaters and we'll play like a showcase game against each other. And we'll give the teams like cutesy, you know, kitschy Hebrew names. And talking to Ivana, who organizes RollerCon, that wasn't an option. But I guess enough teams from other nations apply each year to skate. So... That's how the Mini Nations tournament was formed. I emailed Ivana in like November as soon as we figured out that Jewish roller roller derby was going to be a thing. So we put the call out and we got like over 60 responses. And so that was a lot of footage viewing as well. And we ended up with a team of 18 or 19 skaters, which was really incredible to just like look at a list of people and like see people's names that are like similar to yours. You know, I mean, I don't have a traditionally Jewish name. Also having having a list of Jewish people is kind of a weird thing. 
wrong, but it was just like really neat to see this group coming together and these people who believed in this, this image of what this team should look like, who are wanting to be a part of it and be visible as a Jewish person in the world right now, where it's kind of, I don't want to say it's risky, but if people feel a certain way about Jewish people, we, we are still experiencing anti-Semitism at an alarming rate. And so it can be a little bit scary to be a visibly Jewish person. So yeah, so we played a game at RollerCon and we played against Team Indigenous and that was like, that was like probably my number one moment in my entire derby career. It was just like a really incredible emotional game. Like we both, both teams really knew how important having this game was and, you know, just two borderless nation teams playing against each other. Um, And so to get back a little bit to the borderless nation aspect of Jewish roller derby, Jews come from all over the world. We're an ethno religion, so we're not strictly just a religion. Um, You have European Jews, you have Jews from Africa. There's a lot of Middle Eastern Jews. I'm not the resident expert on Jewish people, but typically you'd have the Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardic Jews, Mizrahi Jews, and then you'd have like Ethiopian Jews, Eritrean Jews. I don't believe that there's a lot of Jewish people who still live in Eritrea, but I believe that that was like a major center for African Jewish life at one point. And so we wanted an opportunity to have all of these groups of Jews to come together and play on a team and be visible and show that it's not all about white European Jews and that Jews come from everywhere. And really, eventually, we'd like to be international in the same way that Team Indigenous is and be able to have teams in Australia. We've been contacted by somebody from Australia and teams from, you know, just all over the place because it's not possible for me and Jody to get to every every continent where they, you know, where there are Jewish people who want to play on this team. But it is my hope that one day we can make that happen and it'll be really awesome. And so how did the We Are Nation game that you all are playing at uh, Champs in Montreal come about? Jumpy contacted us about it. So I'll let Jumpy speak to that. But I just want to say, Jumpy, when you contacted us, Jody and I were like, oh my God. amazing. It kind of it evolved in a kind of, I would say, odd way. Not really odd, but just kind of in a funny way. So I have been really for like the last year and a half doing some consulting work with WFTDA around the revision of the Code of Conduct, talking about land acknowledgement statements, and just looking at some of the internal policies that we have with WFTDA. And so as part of that, I had been in contact and working with Susie Flam, who's the tournament manager for WFTDA, and just talking about creating for all leagues as well as all um, tournament locations, really a, a guideline around land acknowledge or not, you know, jumpy helping to write all of them. But I think when you ask, you know, an Indigenous person to do all of that work for other people, that kind of you know, missed the point of doing the land acknowledgement in the first place. So we wanted to create really more of a guidance document to give to leagues that are hosting tournaments and leagues that are just, you know, they want to take on this practice of what it means to have a land acknowledgement and the work that the location and the community should be doing to learn about the history of the indigenous people and the land that they are currently occupying and who are you know are the tribes you know currently still residing there if they are what are some of the community resources that the location can elevate and help spread awareness around or help support by having these events. And then really the key piece is that, you know, education piece. Like, it's, yes, it's important to acknowledge you know, the past history. And I don't like the word reconciliation because I don't think you can, you can't ever make it a whole. You can't, you can't ever go back and change what happened. But I do like the idea of moving forward and creating, you know, a shared 
future to get. And so I think part of that is you have to be able to teach the real history of what happened. And I think that's something that we absolutely can do um, at our event. So uh, Susie and I had been uh, working on that and she was thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be, because we had started talking about how we were just getting ready to go to RollerCon to do the Nations Tournament at RollerCon, con that we got planned. And so she was really excited about that. I was really excited about that. Wouldn't it be really fun if we could do some sort of an exhibition game? I was like, exhibition game? What do you mean? Talk to me more about this exhibition game. She said, well, you know, and I, and I can't promise anything, but what would be kind of neat if we could have you guys maybe play at one of the playoffs or champs. And immediately, like, my heart like starts racing. Like, oh, my gosh, that is like the biggest thing in roller derby to be able to claim state, you know, for this team. And so she, we were kind of spitballing like, oh, well, what teams, you know, would we have go against you? And said, you know, we're going to be in Canada, so maybe it could be Team Canada. And it's like, Susie, I mean, what about Jewish roller derby? They're the other borderless nation team that is really like us. And gosh, wouldn't it be absolutely incredible to have us both take the track for this, you know, giant event? And gosh, what kind of a message could that send? And I think we both like just squeed for probably a good couple of minutes and like had goosebumps and couldn't breathe. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. We, you know, calm down. We got to like talk to everybody first and make sure this is a possibility. And so, um, you know, she had to reach out and, you know, get the clearance through the different channels on WFTBA. And I, of course, you know, reached out to um, Jake and JBJ and said, hey, guys, I have this thing that we can't really tell anybody about yet because it might not happen, but there's a pretty good chance it's going to happen. And would you want to do this? And then, like, cross my fingers, close my eyes, and cross my fingers. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, if I went back in Gmail, I could probably find it. And it was maybe, I don't know, like 90 seconds later, <laughs> they emailed back. Yes, yes, yes. So that's kind of how the whole game came about that we were we were going to do this thing and then it was oh gosh now we need to think about the logistics of it what are we going to call it how are we going to market this how are we going to communicate about it which you know the amazing thing was this was like tigs was it right before or after lower comment we talked about it i think it was, we actually had we had our first meeting over the phone at RollerCon. yes we were, it was like you got there it was like day one, right? The check-in day. So usually yeah, yeah, like, yeah. people check in early on Tuesday. I know yeah. that we probably went there early to check in. So yeah. Yes. And we had not ever really met each other in person. And so I hunted them down. <laughs> I think really, really neat thing that came about, you know, this planning and kind of this shared vision, if you will, is it feels like we have always known each other. And like we've yep. always been friends. And there is this just really deep trust that we have of each other because I think of our shared histories. They're different shared histories, but they're more similar than not. And that just made this whole experience like, hey, we're all in this together. And it's so cool that we're all in this together. I think I think each of us knows that each of us has our best interests at heart. And so I fully trust Jumpy or Jody to make a decision just as they would trust me to make a decision. Um, we care so deeply about our teams and what they represent that I, I don't see any one of us making a decision or doing something that would break that trust. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's just really incredible how it has felt like we've known you forever. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I love that. So Tiggs and Jody were brought on and you all 
came up with the We Are Nations concept together, if I'm... So Jody and I were sitting on the, on the floor of the Westgate hotel room we were in, trying to listen to this conversation. And we're like throwing ideas out, like, what do we call the game? And whenever that happens, people are just like throwing things out. And I think I was like, what about We Are Nation? And everyone was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was just one of those like really awesome collaborative moments where people were throwing out different ideas, seeing what stuck. So I think that's where the name came from, Jumpy, unless I have an alternate reality. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally right. And I think what when we said that and thought about it, and like really, really thought about it, not, not we are a nation, we are a nation. We, and that I think is what really, it made it stick for us. Like, yes, we are nation. The people that we have, the culture that they represent, you know, the histories that they have, that's what makes up a nation. It's not these, you know, enforced borders. It's not this proof of citizenship. It's not this blood measurement. It, these people define what it means to be a nation. And that's why it was so important for us to be like, yes, that is what we're going to call us. We are borderless nations. We are a nation. So when Jody and I submitted to the Roller Derby Nations Committee to play at the next Roller Derby World Cup, we were immediately told no. No, no reason why. And Jody was like, no, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And so they sent over like their one of their grandparents' documentation that literally says stateless on it. And that's what happened to a lot of Jews after World War II. They were stateless because the country, their quote-unquote country of origin didn't want them. So technically, technically, a lot of Jews are stateless. They're, they're not from a nation. And if you, look at, if you look back at Jewish history, Russian Jews aren't actually Russian Jews. They're Russian Jews because they were Soviet Jews. They were, they were pushed out to what we call the Pale of Settlement, which is the surrounding countries, you know, Ukraine, Moldova, et cetera, et cetera. So Russia didn't even want us. The countries that we were living in didn't even want us there. So we truly are a nationless people. And I think that when people think of Jewish people, they associate Israel with, with us. And that just isn't the case. You know, I mean, a lot of Jewish people love and, and have great feelings about Israel and some don't, but not every Jewish person can identify with Israel being their nation. And so I think for a lot of us on the team, you know, we truly think about our people as a nationless people. I also think it's really interesting that both of your teams represent individuals and peoples who have existed before the modern notion of states and nations. So that's another aspect that you share in common. What I was going to ask originally is you both belong to leagues, you belong to state leagues, and you belong to these teams created around an identity, a collective identity, I should say. And so I was curious about the differences you've experienced in terms of how you all communicate and coalesce and collaborate in, you know, in comparison to your, to the traditional notion of like a league and a team. City is like 500 people. So our team's communication is completely different than Rose City's communication. We've got like so many methods of communication within Rose. Our team mostly communicates via Facebook group. And if we don't hear from someone for a few days, we'll tag them if we need to hear from them. And it's generally not an issue, you know, like it's a lot of the time I feel like when I'm conversing with my JRD teammates, I'm talking to like my cousin and that could, Jody is my fourth cousin, by the way, but that can be true of most European Jewish people because of endogamy and 
Ashkenazi Jews come from like this bottleneck many, many years ago, and we all descend from the same 310 people. A lot of us really are related. So it's just like, I really think of it as I'm trying to communicate with my actual family members. And sometimes I might get annoyed at the lack of response, but that's no different than any other roller derby conversation, right? I, I don't know. I It's different, but it's the same. It just feels like you're talking to your family members whom you also happen to play roller derby with. Yeah, that's funny. I think, so I you know, am from Maine Roller Derby, which is a much smaller league than Rose. So we have like 50 people. So it's, <laughs> it's a little bit more manageable. For Team Indigenous, typically communicate via Zoom because we are in so many different time zones in Canada and the U.S., especially for the team for 2019, primarily Canada and the U.S. And so we have, you know, Facebook group, we have group memes. It's like a group messaging function that you can like instant messaging, basically, an app you can add on your phone. And so we used that when we were at RollerCon so everyone could kind of organize where we were going for, you know, food and all of that stuff. But the, the feel of it was, I think, so interesting because when, you know, I started in Maine Roller Derby, you know, you have all-star travel team and then you have some of the, you know, like the B team and the C team and you're the newbies and you're the freshies. So you kind of have this internal political structure that you have to navigate to try and get to know people and, you know, build relationships, kind of move up the rank, you will, in that type of structure. All, you know, friendly and, you know, great and whatnot. But with Team Indigenous, it was so very different as the for the first round for World Cup, I wasn't able to go. I had a neurological thing happening with my brain, so I had to watch everything from home. And it was you know, really, really hard to miss out on all of that work that they did for me. And so RollerCon this time around, I you know, was back dating. I was so excited to go. There's still people I had never met you know, in two years other than through <laughs> a computer screen uh, or a phone. And like day one, it just felt like, as Jake said, you know, it just like you're around your cousin. And there was just this level of comfort that we weren't competing for visibility. We weren't, you know, competing for really anything. It was just like we were all these really good friends that hadn't seen each other in a while. And now we're all back together again, even though most of us had never, ever seen each other before. It's just, you know, our teammates will throw the term around a lot. You know, it just felt like siblings. There's just no way that we could really explain it or help others understand it unless they had felt that but just being able to like walk into a room see these people who had seen their pictures before had talked to them through a screen and instantly you know you run over and give them a great big hug and i'm so glad you're here but it was just there was this closeness that i had not ever felt with a team from day one like i have and shout out to all my main roller derby teammates. I love you guys. And, you know, absolutely, you know, we're, we're really close too, but it's just different. Huh? Yeah. And I think different is okay. Difference um, is not bad. <laughs> Differences <laughs> should be celebrated. I was also going to say when, when Jewish roller derby played Team Indigenous, immediately it was just hugs and like we're so excited to play against you this is incredible this this feels like wonderful it was the same type of thing like maybe your extended family but like at the end of that game we didn't high five each other we hugged every single person in that line and it was because and i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it stop you're gonna make me cry Both of us were crying at the end of that game. We were. It almost seems like because we have so many similarities in our cultures, we quote unquote get each other. And like, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense to like the average person listening to this. Do you know what I mean, Jumpy? Like, it was just like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, it just felt yeah. right. Yeah, I think you could probably do like an entire episode 
episode around you know generational trauma and how yeah. <laughs> how yeah. like I think souls can like recognize that in each other and say, gosh, I feel deep down in the core of my being the same thing that you feel deep down in the core of your being and have that shared historical experience like in our DNA that just like recognizes each other and says, Yeah, I feel that too. Gosh, I'm so glad that you're still here and Gosh, I'm so glad you're still here too. And let's celebrate that and feel that together. I totally subscribe and believe in that. And so I think that's probably what it is for all of us when we get together um, with Jewish Roller Derby and we hit that track together. It was just like, we are just so glad to all be here together doing this thing that we all love anyway. But now it's an even bigger bonus because we get to do it all. Perfect. That was so eloquent as always. <laughs> <laughs> You've both mentioned your teammates and your team members. What are your membership processes like? Um, for So for Team Indigenous, um, we, at least right now, do um, an annual call for members, new members. And it's you know, a call out that goes really via social media. And we request that people just fill out like an application form. And we're really just asking for, you know, who are you? Who do you skate with? know what tell us a little bit about your relationship to your tribe you know and recognizing that we all have different journeys how we've gotten to where we're at and some people have had the benefit of growing up with their tribe with their cultures with their tradition and they've been able to carry that knowledge forward you know for years and years and years and we have other members that have never had the opportunity to have that access to their people and their language and their culture because you know for example for me my mom was adopted off the Navajo reservation when she was four as you know, part of kiddos, you know, being removed from their reservations and adopted out of white families. And so she grew up in Southern California, away from her tribe with white parents who were very supportive, of course, loved her, but they didn't know her language. You know, they didn't have those generations of culture to pass along to her. And so as she became a mom and had me and my sister, she also couldn't pass along you know, the language and the cultures and the traditions. And so we've been able to do that learning together, really, as I've been an adult, because I want to pass those things on to my children. So it's so important for me to learn those. So when we have our membership form, it's not a, hey, give me your you know tribal census number or tell me your blood quantum or you have to be super deep rooted into activism or education with your tribe. You know, those aren't our qualifiers. It is tell us why it's important for you to be a part of this and tell us what do you know about your history and whatever you know that's okay. and then we ask that they also send some footage so we can see you know because we also want people to be safe <laughs> so it's really important because we know you know some of the games we are playing are at a high level and very competitive so we also want to make sure that people are going to be safe and so we look at footage and then from that make a decision of for roller con we we're actually able to have a team of 30 and have 20 on roster for the game and we have had the great fortune to have that many people that are interested and able to travel so it, you know i guess a good problem to have to say i'm so sorry friend you know i can't roster you but but to have so many people that are still and so we, we do we have alts that are still traveling to chance that are still willing to do turn coaching or bench managing or running the merch booth or helping to answer questions or just helping to be a support person there because they believe in this team so our hope is, you know, now for 2020, as we get ready to close out this year, doing the same thing and continuing to grow this team um, so that we can 
can really continue our mission about you know, raising awareness, uh, increasing education, and just creating more opportunities for our skaters to get out. Yeah, so JRD's process is pretty similar. So last November, we put the call out. We just have a Google form, and we don't ask about people's Judaism directly. We, we ask people why they want to be a part of Jewish Roller Derby. One of the things that we were asking was, what is your Hebrew name? Because when Jewish children are born, they're often given a Hebrew name. But if you're not from a religious family, then you're probably not going to be given a Hebrew name. And that's fine. Some people just put in that box, I don't have one. Um, but we get some really remarkable responses about why people want to be on the team. And that is, I think, what makes it harder because Jody and I have decided that we would put somebody on the team who maybe wasn't the best skater, but had, you know, like a deep connection to Judaism for one reason or another, or maybe they're trying to get back to their roots or they have like a really special connection. Like, for example, we have a skater this year whose great grandfather was Jewish in Poland and he converted so that he could marry his sweetheart because she wouldn't marry a Jewish man. And so for me, you know, I, I thought about that story and like how important it would be for that person to be on the team. Like what a great way to reconnect with your ancestry and your, and your history. Like that's who you are. And, you know, we were talking about generational trauma earlier, you know, even if you weren't raised Jewish, you still have that in your DNA. And I think it's important to be around people who can understand that and have the similar experiences. Cause you might end up talking about something and then somebody else chimes in and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's why I feel this way. You know, it's important to have those experiences. So for We Are Nation, the way we decided to do it this year was this year, like we're going to have it again. I don't know. That's not up to me. <laughs> but for this particular event, we decided that we would allow our RollerCon roster to skate. And we have a couple of people who are actually skating in champs. So we knew right away those two people would be out for champs. And then we have somebody who does lineups for one of the teams that's going to champs. So that person would be out. So we did another form and uh, did a call out for skaters. And we specified we would need at least six to eight skaters. And so again, we had to do the footage viewing. And so we filled those spots. And I think just the way that we've decided to work on it for now is any events that come up, we'll be able to pull from that pool of about 30 skaters. If you can travel, great. If you can travel, we'll we'll have you on the track with us next time kind of deal. And I think that is probably the, the best way to go about it. I'm, I'm guessing that if we do eventually get acceptance into the Roller Derby World Cup, um, we'd probably go. <laughs> yes, we will. We're actually working on <laughs> we're working on um, changing the definition for what constitutes as a nation with the nation's committee, and Jumpy's been helping with that too, and that's been really incredible. Um, sorry, tangent. Um, but when we do get chartered for the World Cup, you know, we might do another tryout and you know see who applies then and who can travel, and we'll encourage people from other countries to to apply. You know, the World Cup is sometimes a once in a lifetime experience for some people. And I think that, you know, if, if there's a skater in, I don't know, Japan, that's Jewish, you know, they're, they'll make the, the trek because it's meaningful, you know? So yeah, a lot of the stuff that we do is model, modeled after what Team Indigenous is doing. For Jewish Roller Derby, Team Indigenous and the Black Roller Derby Network are our biggest inspirations. Um, shout out to the Black Roller Derby Network. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Jumpy just did, did hands in the air. <laughs> I didn't just say that. We also have a Jewish roller derby social network that we we post in before we post anything um, externally. So we get we give people the opportunity to sign up and be one of the first few people to sign up if we do have any events or need any any things like that. You y'all were just touching on a bunch of like different sort of avenues that I wanted to head down. But since you mentioned the Black Roller Derby Network and the issues that came up at ECDX with the racial jerseys and the color, I know that Jumpy, you've been involved in how that 
that's been addressed on the Wufteda side. I wanted to ask you with that hat on as the Wufteda person, I mean, personally, obviously, and you're, you're, you can speak for your own sentiments, but I wanted to know for b- both of you, how was it received in your teams too and you're in and perceived by Team Indigenous and Jewish Roller Derby since you both all really made mention that representation and visibility were very key parts of your team's, you know, starts. Yeah, oh, that's a great, great question. Uh, so I think one of the first things that we, so of course, like I said, we have that kind of internal Facebook group that we have kind of running conversations. And when anything has come up, whether it's, you know, what happened at ECBX or in any of the subsequent, unfortunately, tournaments that we continue to see, incidents of racism and, you know, it, it's so, so frustrating. I think our team, we're, we were even seeing that happen at RollerCon. And so we were watching one of the state games and Soledad was playing and they, one of the refs had called her, you know, black, whatever her number is. And she was clearly wearing a jersey. And I stood up and like yelled. And I am a really good spectator normally. And I usually can hold it together and not, you know, yell at refs because I just I think it's the worst practice, but just the emotion of that weekend for, you know, being with indigenous and being able to, you know, skate against Jewish roller derby and being able to do the nation's tournament. I think my own internal (laughs) activist brain was like really just elevated. And I was just like, oh gosh, bring it down, jumpy, bring it down. But after the game, I actually went up and talked to the head ref. But I just have to let you know that I was spectating for this last game and I heard this and, you know, he corrected himself, but still it shouldn't happen. He's like, I really, really appreciate you coming over and sharing that, which blew my mind. I figured he was going to be not really nice about it. Um, But then shared the other skating refs that were around him after that jam was over, actually pulled him to the side and said, hey, so in that last jam, you said that person's skin color and not their jersey color. And that's not okay. Which I was also very glad to hear that at least in that instance, community members are starting to hold each other accountable, which I think the only way we are going to see change happen globally within the derby community is if those who are in those privileged positions start holding each other accountable. So I, I can be a spectator and scream from the side, but that may not be as effective or cause as much change as the person who's holding that same position, skating right next to them. And I feel like that is just really kind of a, a broad statement that could be applied to, you know, any of the subsequent conversations. And so, you know, for TI, one of the things that we're really just trying to work on is when we see incidents like that happen going to those in charge like we had heard over this last weekend at Seattle just some of the announcing gaps that came up really just going back to you know those in charge you know the WFTA tournament team and their media team and saying guys what is happening you know I I get it and the I think one of the really great things that we see on the WFTA side is they do have their talent management arm that is really working to announcers accountable and the on-air talent accountable for when they do slip up. And so there were a few on-air apologies and I know that there will be some additional work around education and what you're saying matters. So it's really important that if you're going to be a color commentator, not just try and fill up the space with empty words, but make them be important words that are relevant to the conversation. So 
I think we also recognize that we're all human too. And so we do have that part of us that will trip up every so often, but it should be every so often. And if you say, if I'm going to be this person who's the voice of this tournament that is televised and broadcast internationally, I need to really prepare for that. And I need to be very deliberate with my words. And if I feel like I'm going to be nervous and just kind of, I think sometimes when we get nervous, we just start talking and not really talking in a good conscious stream. But I think sometimes when that happens for people, they start to just kind of pull things out of the air to fill up that dead space. And that, I think for me, is when I witness the most problematic statements come out, is when it's just trying to fill up that empty space. So I think the more that WFTDA can do help their talent and on their talent, find resources for, you know, broadcasting and public speaking and you know, cultural education and awareness. I think if you have all those components that go into supporting these people who are doing this job, I think you'll start to see that change. But I think the biggest piece is that accountability and being able to say, yeah, this happened. We're going to hold you accountable for what you said instead of it just being, well, yeah, they didn't mean it. There really is a shift in now saying that there's a little bit more accountability. There needs to be a lot more. And of course, there's a lot more work that needs to be done, but I'm seeing baby steps like I've not seen I think as Jewish people, we have we have a duty as people who are white and benefit from white privilege to call that out when we see it. I wasn't at that particular event that Jumpy was talking about, but I heard about it after. I really only feel like I could speak for Jody and myself, but both of us, like we really care deeply about what happens in roller derby, what's going on in the world. And we don't miss an opportunity to talk about our political beliefs and like how we feel about how there the injustices in the world are happening in a way that they haven't happened in in so many years and you know that's that's something that we have to remember as Jews because we have that unique place of privilege and we just have to do the best that we can I shouldn't say the best that we can we have to do what we can so that those things don't happen I am a person I can speak for myself when I say that I am a person that does not understand how somebody would make that mistake and that's in no way a thing where I'm saying like I don't see color I just don't see how that is a mistake that can be made repeatedly by multiple different people. I don't understand it. I cannot wrap my brain about, around it. Just the fact that that's been a reoccurring incident and that's something that multiple skaters have written about and have had that experience. I think that roller derby needs to do better. I think roller derby touts itself as being revolutionary and I don't think roller derby is revolutionary, but I think roller derby can be revolutionary if we could just like call that shit out. Like stop letting people have a, a hall pass because you think they're cool or they do so many things in your league. Like we're all volunteers and I'll probably get flack for saying this, but let that volunteer go. Like that volunteer is eventually going to do something else to make you look like an ass. And you'll find another volunteer who's willing to do that work, you know? So choices have consequences. And if you're going to be a person who continually makes mistakes that, you know, are racist mistakes, those should have consequences. I hope that that stream of thought makes sense. <laughs> it totally does. And I, my question is like, it's, as you've mentioned, it's happened so many times for so long that I just got to wonder like, what's taken so long? Like, why hasn't Woof Did Up been able to nip this 
this in the bud once and for all. You know, it just I can I can see the fatigue that the skaters who've experienced this, like the frustration and the fatigue after so many years of experiencing this and that it continues to go on even after the ECDX incident. It's just I don't understand why. (laughs) I don't don't get that because it's a it's a topic of conversation on Facebook and you don't have to be friends with the quote unquote right people. You see that conversation reoccurring. And so if you're somebody who's an official and you're reading these conversations like why is that still happening I just like I think this issue bothers me so much because I don't understand how it's still happening or why it's happening I could I could probably just like tangent on it my hypothesis is that it's part and parcel with privilege right when you think that someone's pronouns are are optional when you think that you know someone's race and I you know misclassifying or calling them what have you that it's just when you whenever you think that someone something that's inherent and dear to someone's like identity is optional that's like a part of privilege that needs mm. to be dismantled and removed and plucked and addressed you know but you that's can't my you privilege cuz i that's not even that's my privilege cuz that's not even something that i had thought about mm. because mm. i don't experience racism like that you know i experience mm-hmm. anti-semitism which is not the same as racism it's mm-hmm. not you know, the color of my skin, it's, oh, you got a big nose or, oh, look at your hair. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the same. Like I would never be called by my Jersey color. It just, like, I don't have that experience. So thank you for educating me on that, making me think about something. No, I, yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I think that our, where our oppressions are, you know, our oppressions are distinct that we're oppressed is not. <laughs> it's right. unfortunately <laughs> that's what we share in common. That's yeah, a, right. that's what you were speaking to earlier, right? That sort of like collective sense of trauma that you kind of recognize mm. in one another. It's 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 tough. On that vein, sort of, I was wondering if y'all could speak about as leaders of your groups, have you noticed any other sort of challenges or misconceptions or preconceptions that your your peers are experiencing that you'd like to then vocalize so that others are aware of and can we can kind of like address and attempt to eradicate? Yes. <laughs> a lot of people don't really understand why a Jewish roller derby team needs to or should exist. And that's because we're white people, right? But we're not all white people, as I discussed earlier. I always say, I had to fire my therapist over this because I was explaining to her how if I look visibly Jewish, like if I wear my hair curly, I don't like you can tell that I am maybe not a white person, but you know, I have white skin. I just look what people would call quote unquote exotic. And so, you know, my whole life I've been asked like, what are you? You know, that fun question. People don't understand why Jewish roller derby needs to exist because we are visibly white people in a white supremacist society. If you really look back at our history, which is something that I've only recently learned, most people people don't have any Holocaust education. We have a really gross history. We've just been treated horribly throughout history. People say really anti-Semitic things like, oh, the Jews have all the money and Jews run Hollywood and the Jews in the banks and we control the weather and whatever. But like the only reason why people that are Jewish are successful is because we had to work really hard to get there because we were seen as rats. We were seen as dirty people. We were seen as, you know, we didn't deserve to live. We were going to, we were the devil. We were going to turn people into bad things 
things, you know, like if you look back at that history, it's sad and it sucks. And we're still having, we're still having these conversations today where when Jewish roller derby was first announced, um, I posted in one of the derby groups and the first comment was, why isn't there a Christian team? And luckily I, and yeah, you're laughing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why isn't there a Christian team? I don't know because we live in a Christian nation and Christians aren't persecuted and that's fine. Like if you wanted to start a Christian roller derby team, go for it. It's a free country. Do whatever you want to do. I probably wouldn't support it because I think that Christian people have a lot of privilege in this world and they don't need a platform to share about their history and the struggles that they've experienced and and those types of things. But I would support the heck out of a Muslim roller derby team. There's a belief that Jews and Muslims don't like each other. And that very well may be true. But also we have a lot of overlapping history. We have overlapping lands. And so I would visibly support that team because I know not firsthand what it feels like to be a Muslim and experience that those like microaggressions and outright racism that those people experience. But I know what it feels like to have things taken away from you and to be labeled as a certain type of person. Or I think that we have a unique opportunity right now where people are listening and we can talk to people about Jews and why and and Jewish history and like Holocaust education. And there's, there's people who didn't know that there's a difference between concentration camps and extermination camps. Like that's like Holocaust 101, you know? And we're, we're in a in a time where my generation will or our generation will be the last people on earth who will have lived in the same time as an as a holocaust survivor and that's scary because if they're not alive who's going to keep who's going to keep their stories alive who's going to keep their memory alive and we have a we have a saying when somebody passes in, in the jewish culture religion may their memory be a blessing and i feel extremely privileged to live in the time that some of these people are still living because i get to hear their stories and whether or not they're great stories or they have a happy ending i i still get a chance to hear them like right now before i was on this call with y'all i was watching a documentary about these two people who survived a concentration camp together and they ended up getting married when they got out like you know that's a remarkable story and those people go to schools and talk to children about what ha- what really happened in the Holocaust. And every time you watch a Holocaust documentary, you can learn something different about what happened then. And so I just think that we have a really unique opportunity now to talk to people who- because they'll listen. And roller derby is quote unquote woke. So, you know, like I can talk to people about like why saying Jews have all the money is a bad thing and they'll be receptive toward it. Whereas maybe a couple years ago, if I would have had that conversation with somebody, they would have been like, no, it's not. And that did happen. And I had to remove those people from my Facebook friends list because they just were not receptive to, to learning. And so, yeah, that's why we need a Jewish roller derby team. Yeah, I think similar, you know, for us, I think one of the things that has popped up consistently since we announced and it just kind of gets recycled with social media sometimes is well if you have team indigenous you're just going to further divide yourself from other people so you're not really going to be you know doing something positive it's actually just going to create more division like whoa whoa what Um, but there's also, you know, comments that come up, like, especially because we have, you know, such a diverse team, those skaters don't even look indigenous, you know, they just look like a bunch of white girls, not recognizing that there, you know, are indigenous skaters all over the globe. And if we're all from different regions, you know, it kind of stands to reason that we're all probably going to look a little bit different, too. And, you know, some of us have, you know, like my dad is French and Irish, and my mom is Danette. So I'm a mix of Danette, French, and Irish. So I feel a little bit different than both parents might be Danette. So I think that's one of the 
the things that we constantly battle is just validating that we are who we say we are. Just because we don't look like these people with preconceptions similar, you know, like what Tix was saying, we might not look like a traditional indigenous person or a traditional Native American. So that makes us less valid, I guess, in some people's minds, which is know really really frustrating and i think you know even some of the really awful comments we see around wait there are still indigenous people there are still native americans wait what <laughs> you know it's just there's this big gap in education for people part because here in the u.s you know, our educational system is broken and doesn't you know really give us an accurate picture of what happened historically it is a colonial perspective of this, hey, we, you know, we were persecuted in Britain, so we came here to America, and then we built this great nation, and, you know, then, you know, we moved westward, and then we settled the whole country, and then, you know, we created this great government, and, you know, la, 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 everything started. Not mentioning all of the people that were stepped on, pressed, enslaved, and eradicated along the way to make that happen. I think because that has not really ever been part of the educational system curriculum, you have now these new generations coming up that just have no understanding of the Holocaust, that have didn't even know that the Trail of Tears was a bad ref. Like, well, what was the Trail of Tears? How is that bad? It's like, wow, we really need to do some work. and. Within the Roller Derby community, it's great to have this platform to start to create education. And I think, you know, the next moves, you know, for our team, Team Indigenous, and, and I would imagine, and I would speak for JRD, but probably similar, is continuing that education in our own community because we are, you know, widely dispersed, you know, in our team. So for Team Indigenous, you know, out in Maine, we have people who are, you know, California and Arizona and Texas and the Midwest and, and Canada that all have different local histories for you know, indigenous tribes, but also national histories uh, for what's happened to the indigenous tribe. And I think one of the things that I am trying to work on here in Maine is, you know, for the Wabanaki Confederacy, which are the traditional indigenous people for Maine, one of the state laws is that there is supposed to be Wabanaki curriculum included K through 12. So there's supposed to be some sort of education about the local in every grade level in public school. There are no checks and balances in place to make sure that this is happening. And when you know the Department of Education has started to do some investigation, they're discovering, gosh, this is not happening on a statewide basis. So if they're not teaching that in a state law, what are the other things that aren't being taught? And this is just one state out of 50 states, and that doesn't include Canada. And so I think the you know, the thing I want, you know, us to be able to tell the larger community is you don't have to wait for someone to invite you. You don't have to wait and ask permission. Take your space. You claim your space. You tell people, I am here. I am real. I'm going to really try and educate you and make you listen, but I'm not going. And we want to grow this awareness and this message so that it's really something that our team members can take into their own communities and do that activism and that advocacy and that education and teach others how to do that as well so that it it's not just a team indigenous is doing this one thing as you know jewish roller is doing this one thing we are really truly seeing a revolution within this sport and yeah it started with roller derby but it's spilled over into community and it's spilled over into other sports and now it's spilled over into 
political arenas. You know, we have this great opportunity. I think that's rad. And I think that there's there's this misconception that sports is apolitical and it yes. totally is not. <laughs> it's no. nothing human that, that a humans are involved in is ever apolitical. Mm-hmm. The personal uh, is political, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> and just, I was also struck by, I think that part of the disconnect that occurs is that people seem to not realize that a lot less time has elapsed than they think. Thank you both for reminding people and making that part of your work to connect and to be visible and show people that not only are you here currently, but you're also here to remind people of your stories and your histories and history is present. History is a flat circle, honestly, I think. The Holocaust only happened, I think, 70, I think next year will be 76 years ago. January 20th is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, Mm. I don't know that number off the top of my head because I'm not a good numbers person, but like some people have grandparents or parents that are that age. So mm-hmm. it it's definitely, you know, 1941 wasn't that long ago. Sure. I think that's also something that's also when people think about the civil rights movement and, uh, and, you know, in terms of like African-American history, everyone likes to act as if like Jim Crow was something of a bygone era when it, you know, um, you know, was it, I forget, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I forget her name, but the first student who integrated our schools is just like, is like in her fifties. Like yeah. it's not, it's not that, it's not that long ago at all. Yeah. I think I if have, you think even like if you are talking kind of in the political arena, even voting right you know, yep. here in the States for Native Americans, not fully guaranteed by all states as late as the early. So <laughs> that's like, we're talking like 40 years ago, not right. all Native Americans who are the first people of the land didn't have the right to vote, which is just mind blowing. So again, to your point, we kind of think of this as, you know, it's old history, you know, it's like, it's not that old. And we're kind of, you know, in a scary place as a nation where, you know, we have in power, we're starting to see some of these patterns start to repeat themselves in the way that, you know, marginalized people are starting to be treated. So I think now more than ever, these teams are so important to be visible and to keep educating our community. So I also, I wanted to ask y'all about your collaborations with Derby Without Borders and with uh, Strong Athletic. I have been working with the Derby Without Borders, so I can speak to that. And Jumpy has been working more closely with Strong Athletic, so I think that's a good topic. So we we have like a little group chat It's people from team indigenous jumpy me, Jody, um, Mayday who runs Derby without borders, all of from, um, QSA queer skate Alliance, uh, Scarby dolls in there, hammers in their, uh, black roller derby network and gloom, who is the director of the WFTDA DNI. And so there's a lot of like idea sharing and bouncing things off of each other and just general friendship. It's like a very wholesome, sometimes very angsty chat, but it's like the highlight of most of our days. Therapeutic. Um, Therapeutic. Yes. <laughs> Talking to people who get it. So anyway, my, my dealings with Derby without borders came from mostly that conversation, uh, I think we all, most of us met this summer at RollerCon. RollerCon was like really like socially minded for like our, our group here, which is really cool. But I was doing social media for Mayday for a little bit. I think that just 
Derby Without Border, the mission of Derby Without Borders is something that that Jewish roller derby can kind of relate to in the sense that we're from all over. And, you know, roller derby has been so vital to the creation of Jewish roller derby, of course. And but more so like to me finding my identity as a Jewish person. And also like my life changed so significantly because of roller derby, like in so many different ways. And so I really believe in the mission of DWB because I believe that there are other people out there in the world who are like me and who need roller derby in their lives. And I recognize that there are lots of barriers to playing roller derby mostly. And and in America, I mean, regardless of your of your um, socioeconomic stance, if you're able to play roller derby, you're a lot more privileged than some people in other parts of the world. And so just to be able to to partner with Derby Without Borders and share that message and, and help do that work, we have a drop point here in Portland um, for people to drop off their gear. But I think that's like, that's really incredible. Like you never know who's going to get that pair of skates that you're going to donate. You never know who's going to get that helmet. That might be the last piece of equipment somebody needs in order to be able to like pass their assessments or whatever, you know, like that, that is life changing for somebody. And like, and I can, I can speak directly to like my experience with Russia, not that DWB has dealt with Russia, but just going to a country where like women are supposed to appear a certain way and like queer identities are not celebrated or it's, it's difficult to be a visible queer in, in Russia. And when I went to Russia in 2017, getting to see this group of people who are very visibly queer and like very offbeat skate together, like for me as an American, walking into their locker room was the first time that I had felt safe while I was walking around there. Having that, exp- I cried at the end of my first practice with them. We, we skated with them for four days, but having that experience, like I can't imagine what it would be like for somebody who lives in a country like that to, to walk into the space and see all these people and to be able to play the sport or not be able to play the sport and say, well, how can I get gear? How can I do this? Like this could change my life. And so I just think that what Mayday is doing is like really phenomenal and I will do whatever it takes to help keep that keep that alive. Our collaboration with Strong Athletics, Marty is just a rad human who I have known for a few years now. Just she's had come to coach Maine Roller Derby a few times. We get some of the best people that come to us in Maine, which is great. And all of our great ideas sometimes come out of just those incidental interactions. We had talked, I want to say the first time we met, we had talked, we were getting dinner after like practice and we had talked about just, you know, the Strong Athletic shirts and um, I had just said, you know, it would be really neat to have like a strong indigenous shirt. And so she had mentioned actually there's another group that kind of does something similar and I was able to find the shirts, strong, resilient, indigenous, which you know, kind of looks similar, but really just love everything that strong athletics just stands for. Just really saying, you know, we are all rad humans and, you know, being able to wear words on our body that really represent, feel, help us feel and help us feel like we can claim some of those identities is so, so important and just being proud of you know, the things that we are. And I think that is kind of everything that strong athletic body. And I think what really resonated for me was, you know, my youngest son has autism. Um, and so he's 11 and he has a twin sister who plays every sport and she's bananas and just uh, such an amazing kiddo. And he is also such an amazing kiddo in very different ways. And the only thing he does, you know, for sports, if he does swim, it's therapeutic for him. His motor coordination is hilarious and he can't really get a lot of the strokes down, but he just really, really loves it. And so I had talked to him about getting, you know, a shirt that says strong athletic kids. And he was just like, I'm, I'm not an athlete, so I'm like a swimmer. And I was like, no, but that's a great thing. 
about being an athlete, and that was one of the things that Sean has like, just you know, really been talking about, is it doesn't matter what anyone else says. If you feel that you're an athlete, you're an athlete. And so I said, you know, Ashley, you are an athlete. You swim, and that is what you do, and that is your sport, and you're an athlete. And you could just see, like, his whole mindset about himself and his appreciation for doing what he does totally changed. And that was just amazing. But that just made me continue thinking. Like, there's some way I really want to work with strong athletes to do something, you know, with Team Indigenous eventually. And I, at the time, wasn't really sure what that was. Um, so then, kind of fast forward to us talking about fundraising because you know we had RollerCon and now we had this game in Montreal coming up, and there's not a whole lot of money you know, just like a four-month span between RollerCon and Montreal. And so we know roller derby is expensive, travel is expensive, and we have some skaters that are coming from the left side of the country all the way to Montreal on the right side of the country. And then, you know, the plane tickets are not inexpensive and taking time off work is difficult. So we really wanted to make sure we had a strong fundraiser. And so we kind of talked about, you know, well, People obviously want merch because we all, both teams brought merch, I think, to RollerCon and it was in you know, very high demand. And so I think it was important to us to find some, find a partner that could see our vision and would respect what we wanted to put forward as these two teams. Um, and also someone that was from within our Derby community because we think it's so important to support those that are within our community. And so we talked a little bit about wouldn't it be really cool if we could somehow figure out how to combine our logos and have that on a shirt and have that be like the, you know, the shirt for this game. But wouldn't it also be cool if we had shirts that also had those really, you know, bold words that embody who we feel like we are. And so at RollerCon, we just started having some conversations actually separately. I had been talking with Marty about, you know, Team Indigenous shirts. And I think Tig and JBJ had been talking with Smarty about Jewish roller derby shirts. So then it just kind of became serendipitous that we were all like, hey, wait, we could actually do a combined fundraiser and raise these funds as a larger group and get this really big, wide net cast, you know, within not only the roller derby community, but of course, all of our friends and family would be included when we cast out this net to try and bring in this money to help both these teams get to Montreal. And so... You know, Smarty has been an incredible partner and really good about keeping us on track <laughs> because I think sometimes we get, you know, like, what about this? What about this? But also really respectful of our vision and what we're putting out. And so is great about checking in, you know, what are the words that you want the website when we talk about this combined fundraiser? And what are the explanations you want to give for why your teams are doing the things that they're doing? And, you know, helping us really maximize this fundraiser by trying to get some um, additional, you know, social media strategy, thinking about how we can, you know, keep increasing our numbers so that we're bringing in more to get our teams to Montreal. So I think it has been a really positive partnership. I love our shirts and we're really excited to get mine in the mail and to bring them to Champ so that people can buy them on site and rock them for our game. But yeah, it's been a great partnership. I just want to say that the opportunity to wear a shirt that says 
strong, athletic Jewish person on it. I mean, there's more words than that, but like, I have like such a complicated relationship with my Jewish identity and like just the fact that like I get the opportunity to wear that and like, I'm proud to wear that is like so huge, so huge. Like I might cry when I see other people wearing them at champs. Same. And I think that, so the word on the word shirts for everybody listening, if you haven't seen them, not one, okay. but they, so we had two shirts created that had the words. So one is Jewish and strong and athletic and outspoken and driven and determined. And the other one is indigenous and strong and athletic and outspoken and driven and determined. And what amazing, strong, powerful word to be able to wear when you have that identity. I'm just so excited to be able to, one, wear it, but also see other people wear that and really like that. And also to see our combined logo shirt, which I just am absolutely in love with and can't wait it's to wear so, that one too. It's so cool. It's such a cool shirt. For folks who don't know, the, the background circle is part of the Jewish roller derby logo. It's the 12th, It represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, of course, the, the girl on the front of the shirt is part of the Team Indigenous logo, which is such a beautiful logo. I love it so much. Who is your MVP? I like to ask people for an MVP, and that could be a cause, a person, a place, I don't know, even a business, an organization, anything, anyone. Can I nominate everybody in that group chat from earlier? Just everybody, <laughs> everyone who's in that chat group is just so phenomenal. And all of us are doing, yes, I'm nominating myself too. Um, everyone in that group is just doing like amazing, incredible things to move roller derby in the right direction and to actually make it revolutionary. So that's um, May Day, Scarby Doll, Jumpy, Emmer, Jody, myself, Olive. And I didn't mention earlier, and I feel really ter- about, terrible about it, um, but Neon is in yeah. there as well. Who is and, Al- Olive? is a uh, Queer Skate Alliance. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and Gloom from the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. The real MVPs. Yeah, I would have to say the same because I think it's a group of people who you know are like-minded in their advocacy and saying, you know what, enough is enough. We are not okay with status quo. We are not okay with just politely waiting for things to change. We are going to make the change happen. And we all have kind of different arms and different avenues of how we're going to make that happen but things are already starting to happen. And it was just, it was really amazing to meet all of these people at RollerCon and to do work with Bloom on the diversity and inclusion committee and just see, you know what, I feel the needle move. I see some of the changes happening and it is painfully slow. Um, But I think the other thing we have to remember is it's not just a small concentrated community. This is, a large international community. And if you want change to happen in the right way, sometimes there is a lot of work up front that you have to do to kind of get at some of the root causes for why behaviors are the way that they are or why, you know, actions are happening the way that they're happening. And it's incredibly frustrating and it's incredibly exhausting for the people who have these injustices happen against them time and time and time again. But I am encouraged to see that there are allies who are stepping up to say, okay, I'm ready to do the work. I I will, you know, I'll, I'll join you. I'll help seek for you. I'll help stand by your side to really make these things happen. So I think that group absolutely would be my MVP. 
for sure. Thank you again, y'all, for your time. Thanks so much for inviting us. Of course. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks, well, there you have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. Intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.